0: Welcome to Sundial, I'm Carlos Frias. Emmanuel George is trying to wrap his arms around all of Broward County's black history. As you can imagine, it's a pretty ambitious goal. The entryway to Emmanuel's work is his Instagram page, Black Broward. It's an account dedicated to Broward County's black history. There, he shares the county's black history through old photos, newspaper clippings, and archival video but it's just a peek into all the different kinds of work he's doing to highlight Broward's black history. Emmanuel's an oral historian. He collected the stories of black elders dating back to before South Florida's tumultuous integration. He's a filmmaker who's shot several documentaries about important moments and places in Broward's black history. And he's an archivist. He digitizes historical documents and vintage photos that are publicly available online through the Broward County Library System. He's a community historian at the African American Research Library and Cultural Center. Emmanuel finds ways to celebrate black art too, from starting a black art week to highlighting Broward's connections to artists like James Brown and Esther Roll from Good Times. His interest in Broward's black history is as varied as his Instagram account. So that seems like a good place to start. Emmanuel, welcome to the show, man. Oh well I'm so thankful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really love uh starting with the Instagram account because I feel like it's taking a peek inside of your head it's almost like taking a a little sampler platter of all of these things that you're involved in um, talk to me about that talk to me about about the 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 things that you try to highlight because there's so much of your work and you you have so many different interests as far as um, kind of wrapping around, your love of history and your love of Broward history, and then Broward black history, right? And the Instagram was a place to start for that, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, the Instagram is something like, I, I like to post every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people caught on to that, but that's <laughs> something that I do every morning when I wake up early in the morning at five. Uh, I usually have something like preset the, the night before. Um, but uh, with the Instagram page, I actually drew inspiration from someone else who is local in the community and that's Nadezh Green. Oh, we with, love the um, Green. Yes, with Black Miami Dade. And I remember telling her that uh, er- earlier this year when we were on a panel together at the Lyric Theater that like, you know, so much of what she's doing is something that like, you know, I just kind of like added my own twist to it you know being inspired by her from her work and she's a good friend of mine oh so those I I love it because
0: like you said those accounts really complement each other yeah because it's like I feel like you guys spent all day digging through all these little bits and scraps of, of black history and then the account does something perfect, which is it puts it in a context. Mm-hmm. right. So like her her account, Black Miami Dade, yeah, and yours black, black, black Broward, Broward, they kind of serve through that role. It's like you look through and you find these these pieces and then you tell the story behind them. Exactly.
1: I mean, it's um, I, I do my best to showcase all of Broward County black History because when for the most part when people on the outside looking in are hearing about Broward County's black history, it's usually starting off with like the likes of Dr. Sistrunk. Um, Esther Roll, you know, Von D. Mizell. But there's so many <clears throat> nuances and things that are not really talked about. And that's one of the things that I want to do, whether it's about the arts, whether it's about the schooling system, mm-hmm. or just a fascinating story or something that relates to today or relates to the the national scene. Right. One of the things that I one of one of my my recent favorite posts was about the the Mizell brothers. Um, they were producers. Okay. In the in the, like the early seventies, they produced for the likes of Donald Byrd, uh, Marvin Gaye, uh, the Jackson Five. Oh, music
0: producers. Yeah, okay.
1: many many uh, many um, talent from mm-hmm. from back then. And one of the productions that they did was a uh, Donald Byrd's Think Twice. OK. And um, Jay Dilla did a rendition of it um, as well, which is like my favorite Jay Dilla um, instrumental and, and his beat off of the Welcome to Detroit album. And, and this, he was based in Broward. Well, the Mizell brothers, the Mizell are re- brothers. They're, they're related to the Mizells um, in Broward County. And yeah. the person that did the liner notes was Don Mizell, who was based in Broward. Uh, he was also someone that was featured as well. He was uh, the first um, the first black class president. In Broward County at Nova. Really? Um, when the schools were integrating. And he also went on to work at Stevie Wonder's radio show. And Stevie Wonder was actually the best man at his wedding. Come on. And, you know, in the Mizell. <laughs> so, like, hearing these stories and then the Mizell being, you know, tied into Broward. And they they produced some of the, the most amazing uh, songs that that most people never knew that they they produced. Well, I so, l- I
0: love how all those stories they they can one leads into the other and it yeah. connects into the other and that seems like it's at the heart of your research. Yeah. right? it's like what are you nerding out on? Like what is the yeah. thing that you're reading and then how that leads you into the next thing.
1: So I, I love showing how everything is connected. Mm-hmm. You know, so my expertise in documenting Black history has always been uh, documenting Black high schools that were phased out um, via the Brown v Board mandate. That's an interesting part of your thing, yeah. uh, and and looking through your
0: your account is something that really struck me is, is um, you've talked about how integration. You know, we talked about the benefits the benefits of integration, the necessary, um, you know, the the scrapping the separate but equal idea, but also that was like that joining of two things is like joining two companies in a mm-hmm. way. Like a lot of
1: teachers got left out of
0: work. A lot yeah. of black teachers mm-hmm. were left out of work, and you and you document things like that, like all of the context around things like that in Broward County.
1: Yeah, just showing how it how it's connected because when oftentimes when we look at our communities, the schools was like the scent, the, the the focal point of the community. Yes, so if you want to tell where a you story right. about the community, you can even you can literally look at it through the schools. Because the elders from these historical black communities went to these high schools. And their parents went to these high schools. Their 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 nieces and nephews, their cousins. So it was an ecosystem. And then at the time, they could only play against other schools. So when you're doing your research, other, other black other, other black, black schools. schools. I got you. So when you're seeing um, you know, some of the names, like you're seeing a Mizell at Attucks High School, but then you're seeing a Mizell at. Um, Dillard. And then you're seeing a Mizell in Delray. So it's just like, okay, these are connections. You're seeing some of the similar last names. And at a time when the population was a lot less, it was all connected.
0: And it tells you a lot about... How, how interconnected all these communities are in South Florida. like just because there's a, a county line separating there doesn't mean that yeah. that those communities are separate at the quite the opposite
1: right? Yeah, I mean, it, it was always quite shared. Mm. I mean, uh, for example, um, where I live in Liberia, uh, it was I was home of uh, addicts. Now Addicks Middle School, it, which was Addicks High School, which was Addicks High School until 1968, I, I put and put that into
0: context for me. So is that like like when I'm thinking of Miami Dade, I'm thinking of like if you go to Northwest, mm-hmm. right? If you go to Northwest, you're a bull and you're a proud bull, or yeah. if you go to Central. For Broward County, Addicts was, was one of those black yeah. high schools that, that had a lot of pride. Yeah, Addicts,
1: we had three. We had Dillard, which is still here. Mm-hmm. We had Blanche Ely High School, which is still here. Ely but is it right. closed in 1970 and reopened in 1975. Okay. Um, and their, their new graduation class was in 1979. And Addicts was a high school until 1968. But the differences between that Addicts has compared to those schools is that Dillard made up the Fort Lauderdale community. So it was a massive um, student body population. And Pompano was similar with Blanche Ely High School, because not only was it Pompano, but it was also the, the Deerfield population. Attucks was different because Attucks was in is in Liberia and Liberia is only 12 streets and it runs from 22nd to 24th. So it's quite kind of a small community. But right Addicts zero. made up the, the Dania Beach community the the West Park Carver Ranches community, the Hallandale community, and also an area in, in um in, called Oges, which is um we now know as Aventura. So, like zooming out, like uh, l- that Liberia area is this kind of triangle that's um
0: that's like on the other side of ninety five from T.Y. Park. Like, if you know where yeah, T.Y. It's Park, on the east side, yeah, it's on the east side. Of yeah,
1: it. it's on the east side, right so. east of the, of the ninety five, west of the train tracks. So, when you when you do something like
0: that in your work and you start researching. You know these connections, and you start talking to people that um, have a connection to these places that are that are "quote unquote" gone. You know, or like the the the, the places changed, but there's so many memories attached mm-hmm. to it. What do you like? What do you think the community gets like when you? And what do you get personally when you see when you're able to unearth some of this history, take some of these oral like because a lot of it's oral history mm-hmm. is talking to folks who went to school in the in the '50s and '60s and and uh, pre integration times, right? Talk to me about what a community gets when you're able to bring those things and keep them relevant today.
1: I mean, I, I what I see is that it's pride that they get. Um, once we we can look for it, oh my goodness, I'm sorry. Yeah, for it's pride that they get. Yeah. We can look at recently, They we just had the Liberia 100 Centennial Celebration this past weekend. Is that 100 and, years of the Liberian years, America? yes. Liberia turned 100 via incorporation. And- how that came to be i was researching one day mm-hmm. i was in Delray. um you know i was working part time with the, at the Delray beach historical society okay and i was just researching you know i go on newspapers.com i have a membership there so i'll just type in things that i'm looking up so um, i'm news- trying to find
0: newspapers.com is such a treasure trove of yeah it's it's an addiction yeah.
1: you know i'm i'm there on for hours on you know at, at times but I was doing some research, and then I'm looking up Liberia, 1920s, and I find an article, July 1st, 1923, that talks about this new community coming to Hollywood for Negro people, and that's what it was talking. And it was to be Liberia. So I'm looking. Well, this is earlier in the year, so like, okay, well, July 1st, 19. So this community is turning 100 via incorporation, and I and I printed that paper out and brought it to their um, civic association meeting and then it was like okay we got to do something and so these it was, the...
0: it was one of those things where if you had not yeah done that research like that that moment would have been lost yeah. you know and and you know it was it certainly would have been highlighted yeah. the idea that this na- that this neighborhood that was specifically that has such strong black history that was incorporated 100 years ago that that little fact would have been kind of still buried in, in the past
1: yeah it would have been buried and then the, the the elders they get appreciation from it because they see someone that cares mm. and that they know that their history can and be okay after they're gone. Um, the, the younger folks in the, in the generation, um, in my generation and generations after me, I'm starting to see many of them starting to, to take more notice um, and starting to be more involved. So, uh, h- how I'm seeing that, um, for example, um, there's a, a young student, she's a senior at American Heritage. Her name is Yana, I I don't want to uh, mispronounce her last name. Okay. Yana, you know Yana who you D, are. Yana D, her last name, Yana D. And um, she's a senior at American Heritage. And she has a uh, an artist collective called Brush Strokes for History. Okay. And it blew my mind because these are young high school students who love to paint and draw. And they use my Instagram page as a reference for all the stuff that they're drawing. And then they recently just had an exhibition at the Broward County Main Library and on the and on the historic Sistrunk Boulevard in Black Fort Lauderdale on the William Cone building. You can see images of Dr. Sistrong, Cannonball Adderley, uh Blanche Ely, Samuel Delavo. These are prominent uh pioneers from back in the day and these are young high school students that's getting involved and they're they're utilizing the history that's being shared and sharing it in creative ways.
0: It's funny because I came across that piece of information that was in a in a Sun Sentinel story and that is also listed in the in the digital archive because you mm. work with the Broward County Libraries. Yes, uh, you have a you have an eponymous uh, it's an eponymous collection, right? Yes. It's the it's the Emanuel George collection. Yep, at the uh, at the Broward County Libraries, mm-hmm. and like that story is captured. Then you see and you can see some of those paintings. So automatically, you're already now kind of uh, collating this information and putting it in the one place where. Or rather, another place yeah. where people can find it.
1: Yeah, just making sure that it's preserved. I mean, I was gathering so much information. And I was having so much documents around my home. And I was just thinking to myself, well, what's going to happen to all this information if something was to happen to me. I don't have a will or anything. At this time, I'm like, what, 30, 31? You know, so I'm just on the go. I'm just gathering information. And you're 31 and you're thinking about your will. Yeah, I was thinking about it, you know. And Why? It was That's like, such a deep, deep, dark thought. I mean, you know, just honest, honestly, truth. Mm-hmm. You truthfully speaking, you know, I've lost a lot of people, lost, lost a lot of friends and family in, in my 35 years of living. I just I'm turned sorry. 35. Uh, just recently, I lost a good close friend, Danny Agnew, uh, down in Miami, uh, Miami home oh, Roots he, Collective. He helped start the Roots Collective Yeah, from in, Roots in Collective and the Roots Collective in the Roots Black House. Yeah. Near, uh, near Liberty City. Near Liberty City. When yeah. I was getting started in my community uh, involvement, it, Danny was one of those people who took me under, their, under his wing, along with Valencia Gunder, as well as James Mungin. Well, and that's,
0: that's connecting pieces right there. Like yeah. Dan- Danny Agnew, he sponsored one. I want to say one of the first, maybe the first community fridge. Yeah. Um. By this uh, young woman, Sharina, Sharina. I can't think of her last name, but mm-hmm. uh, the village fridge. Yeah, the village fridge. Fridge. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and that was one of the first places to to sponsor. So this is a yeah. perfect example of connecting, how how you kind of spread beyond borders when you start connecting uh, mm-hmm. South Florida's black oh, history. Yeah. Our guest today is Emmanuel George. He's an archivist and community historian who created the Black Broward Instagram page. By the way, uh, if you like this show, you can watch a live version of Sundial at the Miami Book Fair. We're going to be interviewing Carl Hyacin on Saturday, November eighteenth at one p.m. So you have uh, Emmanuel this deep history, <coughs> this 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 total nerd out history. Mm-hmm. I think it's I love talking with people who have just like a passion for one thing. <laughs> but I'm really curious about where this history started from.
1: Okay, so long story. Um, my father. We love long stories. Yeah, my, my father was a big historian lover. Really? He grew up in a small island called Dominica, where my both my parents are from, Dominica. So I'm first generation African-American. They came here in like the mid-80s. You were born here? Yeah, I was born here in Miami and Jackson Memorial Hospital. Okay. So well, that's the connection, really, you know, yes. so how everything connects. Mm-hmm. But um, how it started, my, my dad, when he was younger, he was actually taught by a professor in Dominica named Teacher Atun. And he was the head of the UNIA, which is the United Negro Improvement Association. That was he, was, uh, that was Marcus a creation, Garvey, a creation
0: of Marcus Garvey. Yes, yeah, so okay. he was
1: the head of that of the the UNIA uh, d- department in Dominica, and he taught my father and as well as my uncle a lot of. Uh, black history and a lot of things that was going on uh, at that time. Wow! So he and, had a, a
0: really a direct connection to,
1: yeah. uh, really one of you know one of the
0: great you know political activists that yeah. um, that that brought about like the whole idea of, of like black empowerment mm-hmm. and yeah. Um, so so you so, yeah, yeah, so, so you grew up around these kind of so what were the conversations so like? So
1: when I was a child, I mean, my my dad was telling me about Stokely Carmichael, Angela Davis. Uh, the Haitian Revolution, he was telling me about um, some of the things that was happening in Dominica with, with the history, with some of the revolts that was happening there in the Maroons. So I was already kind of like uh, aware of history, and I might have knew a little bit more than most people in my elementary class, but I knew something. But then it really, uh, I really became mobilized with Dr. Kitty Oliver, and her book "Race and Change" in Hollywood, Florida. Well, I want to I want to get to that, but first I, mm-hmm. I, that point you made of being like one of the kids in your elementary
0: school yeah. that was uh, schooled in this area that, frankly, that's that's one of the the issues that Florida's having, right? Yeah, is Black history is being compartmentalized or being made optional, like the study of, and um, and this is like a perfect example of like so much history that affects South Florida because like mm-hmm. anything that happens in the Caribbean like affects you know uh, affects south florida yeah and i feel like you were getting an education uh that was in, that was kind of like shaping that kind of shaped the culture of south florida but that you might not have gotten in school right yeah i
1: mean I, it was to the point where i remember having to answer certain questions purposely wrong but i knew what what does that mean like, it's, let's just say, for example, if it was, like, a true or false question, mm-hmm. it was, like, did Christopher Columbus discover America? Oh, Lord. Now, you know, it's like, okay, this is, like, you know, I know this really ain't true, but I would have to answer it a certain way. And that was another thing that my dad would um, instruct me on, too, is just, you know, just being aware of the did, education system. And this is in the 90s. Did, so. you have, did you have moments like that? Talk to me about some of those moments, because I'm sure your dad
0: is a guy who yeah. is who is um, so so aware of of black history in particular. Um did you have like meetings at school or anything like that? Or did he sit you down and kind of say like, I you mean,
1: know, it was more so like, well, when I got home, you know, mm-hmm. it would sit me down and, you know, what, um, you know, we, we would read and just um, have different different discussions. And then when he would have his friends over, I would just always be eavesdropping when they would have uh, different discussions on uh, black history, black life, uh, theology conversations. Uh, all kind of different uh, convos, you know. So at your at the house where
0: you were growing up, there were mm-hmm. there were like scholars, historians, activists coming yeah. together. Like like they were hanging around. Yeah, like different
1: uh, Caribbean people, you know, um, that was coming by um, that my dad knew. Um, different walks of life of people that my dad met um, while he was staying in Miami at the time. Uh, and it was just like really cool conversations and sometimes I could I was a child so I couldn't be there for everything to hear everything <laughs> but uh, the ones I was able to, I was able to listen into uh those history-based um, conversations and I would I, I was absorbing it without even realizing I was absorbing it because I was still into the other things that a young child would be into and video games and playing outside, playing basketball and you know, the, the usual. Right and, and I'm sure
0: you you had just like just surrounded by this history like you just dropped one like while we were in the break like today apparently is esther roll's birthday yeah she turns 100 and she would have been 103 today she was uh florida evans on good, good times. times yeah did you grow up watching goods because i yeah. know for
1: me like after school came home and it was like i actually remember when she passed um in oh. 1998 too i was i remember just turning 10 and it was on channel 7 news they were talking about when esther roll passed and i remember watching good times on uh upn wb uh, back when I would, you know, it would always be like reruns after Channel school. 39, I yeah, want to say. Yeah, you know, with the, with the frog, you know. <laughs> yes. So um, I remember watching Good Times, and as, as a child, you know, but I didn't know she was from, you know, Broward County but i was always aware of the show and as i was you know continuing to hear more and do more research i was always hearing about esther old being from here uh and then i was just continuing to to learn more and more about her but she turns 103 today the historic ally cultural center um honors her quite often that's a that's a historic uh landmark in the pompano area and i believe they're having an event at the blanche ely house tonight as well and she's she was in she was born in pompano beach she was born in pompano but she actually finished school in miami she she finished school in booker t okay now the reason now i we have to put this in context as well so at this time um blanche ely high school was not an accredited high school the only accredited high school was dillard which became accredited in 1938 And then there was also uh, Roosevelt High School in West Palm Beach. And then you also had uh, Booker T. Washington down Mm -hmm. in Miami. So when she was getting ready to graduate, which would have been around 1938, 1939 time, I'm not sure why she didn't just go to Dillard, because Dillard is a lot closer. But she went down to Miami. uh, But also there was talks of her having family in Miami. She was the 10th of 18 children. So there was a lot of relatives that spread from... Vero Beach all the way down to Miami that that are that are roles.
0: And and I was going to say the role name, like that's mm-hmm. just another piece where you connect, right? Like yeah. the role name is is one of these great names. Like like you've had the uh, you know, the, I want to say the police chief down in Homestead was a role. Mm-hmm. Uh there was a, there were several role football players both in the Glades and in South Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh there uh there were roles who were activists. Like the like Yeah. You, in like sports. as you this, as you do this kind of research, you you start seeing kind of like the matrix right mm-hmm. you start seeing the fabric right?
1: yeah even even her sister her sister um, estelle evans you know um even the name florida evans uh where how we see the name florida evans from good times you know her sister was estelle evans who was she was in the movie to kill a mockingbird Oh, and the last name evans florida evans estelle evans her as uh, Esther role being from florida so it was just a emerging of the names of oh, um, how that even came to be for is that how times. the is that how the name It's like a little uh Easter egg that you know some folks may not realize but I mean even in Pompano and that's and that's something crazy that's going on over there at the at the Westview Cemetery where she's buried at right now with some developers wanting to um like uh build like a some warehouses and next to like the the cemetery, the historic black cemetery. Well, that's
0: always a problem, right? And there's
1: still talks of like, possibly there is bodies um, under, you know, where they're trying to build. Uh, but, you know. Um, but this is one of those things that if yeah. you don't talk about, right, and, and if you yeah. don't do
0: that research and you don't learn those things and you don't say, hey, say it yeah. on the airwaves like right yeah. now. Yeah, there's
1: a lot of stories that of. people need to know about that is some, a lot of times wrapped under. And then I mean, the Westview Cemetery is one of them. And it also pretty much every black cemetery in Broward County is one of them. Because you had Westview, where there's the talks with developers wanting to build, and a lot of the folks in the community are very outraged and upset about that. Then you also have on 27th, which is right next to Dillard High School, mm-hmm. it is a Shell gas station or a 7 Eleven gas station. But it was, a, it was a gas station and like a family dollar. But that used to be Washington Memorial Gardens. That was a cemetery as mm-hmm. well that they built a gas station over. Then you also have Woodlawn in Fort Lauderdale by the Sunrise East exit on I 95. Mm-hmm. Now, I was interviewing a, a man named Mr. Taylor, a, a white man who mm-hmm. was working with the Florida Department of Transportation at the time and was giving a firsthand account when I 95 was being built. The two lanes, the, the one lane that takes you on the Sunrise East exit, and then the other lane that would take you going to the Sunrise West exit, mm-hmm. there is bodies under I, there, there as well. Oh my in gosh. fact, there was um, they was doing the ground penetration in about 2014, 2015, and they found a bone right there by the 95 body. Mm. That was a human bone. Wow. And even the lynching of Reuben Stacy, which was the story of the documented lynching of a black man in 1935 in Fort Lauderdale. After he was lynched and he was taken by George Benton, who was the mortician in Fort Lauderdale, he was buried at Woodlawn in an unmarked grave. And this was in 1935. And now when they built I-95, there's a good portion of around of an estimate of of maybe 40 to 60 bodies under oh I-95. And Ruben Stacy is possibly one of those people that is under I ninety five. And, and then, these are these are all pieces
0: of history. And yeah. these
1: are all pieces. And it doesn't end there because you have Westlawn in Dania, which is walking distance from where I live. Right. Literally I could go out of my home and walk to that cemetery.
0: Well so many and, of the cemeteries, like that's what they yeah. is. They they're those are Physical representations of history, right? Like yeah. each one of those, especially historic cemeteries like that. Especially when you look at just the fact that they were segregated, yeah, is enough to speak. Like we we spoke to a gentleman, a past guest on Sundial, um, who bought the uh, Lincoln Park Memorial Cemetery yes. here in, in Miami Dade. Mm-hmm. Similar thing. Like there have been developers that want to offer you know seven eight figures, you know seven figures for um uh, for to purchase the cemetery and quote unquote move them, you know to to develop. Yeah. So this is a thing that like this this passion that started with with you and collecting this information and putting it out there so you get it from your dad you see it all mm-hmm. around you and you start digging into it talk to me about then moving that ahead like what makes you decide that this is going to be kind of the the thrust of your career the thrust like that you yeah. want to be an archivist because we had um Uh, Dr. Uh, Dorothy Jenkins Fields. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, Miss Fields, and she's like a great, uh, you know, she started as a teacher and then she actually studied to be a historian. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I? What does that mean? Uh, Or or an archivist? How do I? What do I do with this information? How do I make it relevant? Tell me about that. About taking the next step. Yeah,
1: so taking the next the next step. I mean, we we were talking about my dad and just my love and and being mobilized to be interested in history. Mm -hmm. So it was um, Dr. Kitty Oliver. Uh, She's a historian. I consider her. Um, one of my main mentors, and honestly, a mother in historical spirit. Uh, she has her race and change initiative that's just, that has gone. Uh, global. She's even friends with the Beatles. She was in in um, the the Beatles documentary that's on Hulu. She was one of the 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 young girls who was there when um, the Beatles were performing in Jacksonville when it was segregated. Oh wow! And then when the Beatles demanded it to be integrated, she was a part of that and shared that experience. But she wrote the book "Race and Change in Hollywood, Florida." And I was you know I'm raised in Hollywood, and all I knew about Liberia at that time was. Well, this is just the hood, this is just the trap. This is the you know, every negative connotation one would want to attribute to a community. And reading her book, I was starting to hear more about, well, no, there was businesses in this community. Attics was a high school and then I'm looking at Addicts Middle School, like, well, if I'm looking at the size of this school it actually makes sense that it was a high school right there's a huge state of the arts pool um you know it's a lot of space you know so it was it was a high school so i'm learning about the intricacies of these communities and the neighboring communities you had the palms in hallandale where sam cook james brown uh aretha franklin the, the stars that were in overtown were in hallandale Let,
0: let's talk about that because it sounds Let, like like dr oliver's book uh kitty oliver's book mm-hmm. uh Kind of Helped you kind of Squint and see what This place was Yeah At it's highlight Mm -hmm. You know Not just like you said The trap or the hood Yeah in In your words Yeah Um and and you mentioned like some of these places that were historically like performance black mm-hmm. venues, like you, you were saying that the, uh, the million dollar palms in Hallandale. Tell me about tell me about the Palms. So was that a place that you had black artists perform there? Yeah. when like after or before they performed in Overtown?
1: So the Palms they, they would perform in Overtown. They would also come to the Palms. Hmm. The Palms was was a well known, nationally known club. It was actually owned by a white man, Mr. Busker. Okay. And he had black people manage the club. And you had the likes of Sam Cooke, James Brown, Jackie Wilson, um, Etta James, Marvin Gaye, oh, David greats. Ruffin oh. uh, from The Temptations, Aretha Franklin. I might have mentioned her name already. But you had the, the who's who. Worth it twice. Yeah, you had the who's who that was there. And where the Palm sat was on was on Foster Road and, and on the corner of MLK. And where it sits now is about seven to eight homes. So that lets you know how gigantic of a club that this was. They had teen nights. They had different Um, venues where where people would perform. Same in in the Liberia section where you had the Paradise Club and also um, addicts, you had the likes of Eartha Kitt and Sugar Ray uh, Robinson uh, being there. So So hearing these stories really showed me that, well, I mean, I went to South Broward High School. I had friends in Hallandale. I knew folks in Carver Ranches. But these communities weren't always like this. There was something more. And that was what made me want to go and see what else more I could find. And it became an addiction, basically, because like, the more you find, the more you realize you don't know and the more you want to find more. So it's right. it's never ending and it's, and it's beautiful.
0: Well, that, that leads me to a point. You know, you can read something and it kind of it can jump off the page to you. But no, there's nothing quite like hearing the stories yeah and that was part of your project right like one mm-hmm. of the pro- one of your many interests and projects and creations was creating an oral history history yeah. project right yeah tell me about that
1: so um I was so how the oral history project came to be so I do got to talk about um, I was selected to a, fe- a national fellowship with encore.org they're okay. now called Code generators they're out of San Francisco California so when I was accepted into that fellowship their fellowship focuses on intergenerational work connecting elders into youth Oh, so interesting. with the funding that I got for it, I was able to make sure I'm doing this oral history project for addicts in this community.
0: So tell me about that. So like, uh, t-
1: talk to me about some of
0: the people that you met and oh, some my. of the stories they told you that that moved, that you remember that still move you. you know? So
1: there was many, I mean, um, you had, uh, you had Miss Bobby Grace. She was the first black woman mayor in Dania beach. She was uh, an addicts high school graduate class of 1963. Uh, one of the things that really stood out when I interviewed her was when She was talking about when the school closed and uh, the impact Mm. of that on the community. And she was holding the parents accountable, Um, her parents and other, you know, community parents for not really being um, active at the time. Mm. Um, You also had the likes of Raymond Thomas and Joyce Grisby, brothers and sisters, uh, class of 1966 and 1967. And when they were talking about when the school closed and how the, the school closed and was downgraded. It impacted the businesses that was ah uh, um in that corridor as well and caused them it was like a, a domino effect. In that
0: Liberia. In the area Liberia community. That you said that, you know, obviously now you look at it and it's it's shadow of, of or, or it was at yeah. one time a shadow of what you what you what know to, like what it used to be like this, where mm-hmm. the, the high school is like a, a such a big part of it. So tell me about you know those folks that you talked to what, where are they now? Like, where were they then yeah. when you spoke with them?
1: So um, I spoke with Miss Bobby Grace um, at Bethel Baptist Church. She's still around. In fact, at the Liberia 100 celebration, I was on the float with her um, during the parade, uh, as well as Miss Joyce Grisby. She, we were on the float together. Raymond Thomas is still around as well. He's still very active in the community. It amazes me at his age how he's From morning to night, still moving and shaking. But, you know, when you have a purpose, you know, these are things that that keep you going. Another interesting history tidbit when I published my archives was um, I received a a DM from a woman named uh, Pam Walker. And she was asking about if I have any information on her uncle who was in the first graduating class of 1952. Hmm. And I was looking, let me see what I could find. You know, she told me his name, John Henry Harris. And she told me he went to, she moved to Chicago about five years after he graduated. And I found um, the first graduating photo I was in my archives. I gave that to her. I also found a clipping of a fishing tournament at OGIS, which is now Aventura, uh-huh. that he was participating in in the 1950s. And she was mentioning, well, thank you. Um, this is going to go to her son's. Because uh, her sons are looking to find some information about their father. And then she gave me some more information that, well, when he, when he moved to Chicago, he, he got married and he had two sons. And they went on to become prominent actors in Hollywood. And they were Wood Harris and Steve Harris. Uh, if we ever seen HBO's The Wire, um, uh, Wood Harris played Avon Barksdale. He was in Above the Rim. He was in Creed. He played Jimi Hendrix in a movie. Steve Harris was in, um, I think he was in Diary of a Mad Black Woman. He was in a couple of Tyler Perry films. And I got a personal thank you from wood harris and that blew my mind because anyone who knows me knows the wire is my favorite tv show of all time amazing i still watch it twice a year oh you still re-watching. i still watch rewatch it twice a year because there's so many different perspectives you could watch the wire from and it's always like a new experience you could watch it from the street perspective you could watch it from the political perspective from the the police department perspective from the journalism, journalism perspective yeah. there's so many ways and it's like a it, it's all connected, just right. like the history. And all this happened, you, this
0: connection that you made yeah. with these folks because of this project that you were doing about unearthing Broward's black history. Yeah. Our guest today is Emmanuel George. He's a filmmaker, archivist, and community historian who's focused on highlighting Broward's black history. By the way, if you like our show, you can watch a live version of Sundial Get Made at the Miami Book Fair. We'll be interviewing Carl Hyeson, the great Carl Hyeson, on Saturday, November 18th at 1 p.m. You know, it's interesting that you're Emmanuel. This work that you've done, um, kind of unearthing Black history, you can see how it spreads like a web, like roots. You know, like it spread to Chicago, then to L. A. to the to the the gentleman that plays Avon Barksdale in, mm-hmm. in The Wire. Um, when you have something like that happen, and you start getting feedback you know, about this, this work that starts very organically, very Mm -hmm. granularly, very, and you in a small room looking through, through archival uh, footage or what have you, and you see it spread beyond. What does that, what does that mean to you?
1: I mean, it means a lot because most of my time I'm literally in like a back room in a, and which is in another room that's ducked off in some other area where most people never really see me. And I'm in some cold area doing research, processing, um, doing archiving based work. Um, So what it, what it means to me, it, it, it's, it's an amazing feeling. Um, sad to say a lot of times when I interview people, they, you know, their elders, some, some of them may pass away and when their funerals would, what happened, I mean, I can't tell you how many times people would, would reach out to me. Hey, um, you know, you interviewed my grandmother or my grandfather. Wow. Um, you know, can we, use your video the, the video sure why not and then you get those thank yous and like oh, you know amazing. oh, i can't you know i can't thank you enough for capturing my grandmother um you know and making sure that her stories is preserved um you know i i wasn't ready for that i it wow. was just you know me seeing an issue because we're losing our elders and gentrification is happening and that's why we're losing our 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 history and then we it it was amped up a notch with all the the political happenings in this state where it was just like okay now we really got to um go in and make sure we, we preserve and document history with all the things that's um going on with trying to erase it tell tell me about that how, how has that affected your work you
0: obviously have all this history and it's like it's pretty clear we're undereducated mm-hmm. about black history yeah. like we when i say public you know yeah. our, our our public knowledge and our education of our kids Is We're undereducated on black history, specifically as it relates, especially in South Florida. How are you trying to combat that? What kind of things are you putting your energy into um, to get, you know, to talk about that?
1: So, I mean, um, one of my my biggest uh, beliefs, one of the things that I advocate for is intergenerational work. And that is connecting the elders and the youth. So one of the ways I've been doing that is I'm working on a couple uh, intergenerational workshops, which would include students. Um, From some of these historical schools like uh, like Blanche Ely High School, like Dillard. Um, And I'm also even working on my with my alma mater, uh, South Broward High School, because they have a black student union. So a lot of young students are they want to learn and want to know more because. If you're telling them to, you know, um, ban history that they shouldn't notice, then they're going to want to learn. It's like if you see a button, a red button that says do not touch, someone's going to what does this do? <laughs> so a lot of the, a lot of young students are interested in history. Right. So one of the ways that um, uh, I'm doing that is making sure that it's preserved, of course, but also getting them in, in, in involved as well. What, what kind of things? That, that's interesting to me, the, mm-hmm. the, the ways that you get them involved.
0: What kind of things have you found that's the most successful or, or even even the most rewarding to mm-hmm. you to see like when you w- when you're able to make some of those connections?
1: So one of the, some of the things that's most rewarding is, for example, like brush strokes for history, you know, young high school students like I never seen these kids or, you know, I didn't even know they knew me. Sometimes, um, you know, that is is really rewarding hearing hearing you know that you inspired um, a next generation of students, no telling you know from those group from that group what one or two of them may become mm. um the the rewarding aspect is hearing other people's, you know, using my work you know for a, a book or you know for a documentary that they want to do you know case in point recently there was the a, a, the Reuben Stacy docu- documentary that premiered October 3rd at, at Nova Southeastern University um, tell me about that a little bit what's the root what's who is Reuben Stacy and what
0: and what is and tell me about the documentary so of the outlines okay
1: so to talk about Reuben Stacy which happened in July of 1935 we do got to talk about what happened in May of 1933. And this happened in Pompano. There was a baseball game being played in Pompano in 1933. At this time, in the black community, baseball was a very big thing. You had the Negro Leagues, you had the semi-pro Negro Leagues, and a lot of black people were outside during this time. A white man by the name of Robert Darcy, who had a fish market, uh, was closing his market where he was ambushed and beaten to death by a group of people. Didn't specify a race. Mm. So Broward's first sheriff, Walter Clark, and that's another one hour story as well within Mm. the stuff that he was doing. Him and his brother arrested 20 to 25 black boys in Pompano. And they charged the they charged four of them for the murder of Robert Darcy. And now they used illegal tactics like beating them and starving them into a confession. Wow. Izell Chambers, the youngest of the four, always claimed his innocence. The trial was was moving around. They were taken to Miami because they were taken to the Miami jail to be safe because this was to be the first death penalty case in Broward County. They wanted to lynch all four of these young black boys. But the trial went from 1933 to 1942 when they were acquitted. And this was before the Miranda trial. So how we know about our Miranda rights, the Chambers' rights was before the Miranda. So this was nine nine years.
0: Nine years they were in prison. Yes, in Mm
1: -hmm. 1933
0: from 1942. And that's the... this part of the subject of the, of the documentary. So, there. so
1: it, it plays a part into it mm-hmm. because it, it's, it's understanding the, 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 the climate of what was happening in Broward County at the time. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were upset because they wanted to, to see these four young black boys get killed. And for something that they were, forced into confessing Azelle mm-hmm. Chambers claimed his innocence and they were later acquitted by judge Chillingsworth in West Palm Beach judge Chillingsworth has another interesting story as well because in the in, in the mid 50s mm-hmm. he was kidnapped from his home in his with his wife and was thrown over into into a lake and there is a there's a chillingsworth Lane that leads to his house in West Palm Beach so in so we go two years later in 1935 Reuben Stacy is Working in the fields, this is how the story goes. He was mm-hmm. working in the fields, and and he he's in Davy where he was apparently thirsty. He knocked on the door and asked for some water. A white woman by the name of Marion Jones mm-hmm. claimed that he was gotten to the home and threatened her. And he went on the run for three days. He would later be caught by Mister McDougal, who the sample McDougal House in Pompano is named after. Mm. He was a constable, and he found Ruben Stacy on Deerfield in U.S. One. And he was arrested and to be taken to the same Miami jail where the Pompano four was taken to be safe. But understanding the political, um, not the political, just the the, the racial climate at the time Mm -hmm. and how many people were very upset. So when they were aware that he was going to the Miami jail, somehow they knew the route he was going to. And it was a mob that stopped that the car where he was in, where Mr. McDougal was in that car and Sheriff Clark's brother was in that car and they were stopped by the Klan and Reuben Stacy was taken out and he was hung um, in the, where it is now Davy Road. Some say it is where the Publix is at on Davy Road. Some say it's on the corner of 31st of where the lynching took place. By the time, it looked very different. So Ruben Stacy was lynched in 1935. So a lot, a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. is
0: is you've this is research that you've done that obviously gets used in things like, yeah. things like documentaries. Yeah. So you're you're able to see tangibly where your interest and your passion and your work. Yeah. has led to to lead a, a larger conversation yeah,
1: because i mean it's also people as well who came before me the elders who share and mm-hmm. teach me this history too that i that i gather is from so from the likes of kitty oliver from the likes of rodney collins uh who was um the dania beach historian mm-hmm. earl Garnett benneby who was like our liberia historian henry graham who was a liberia historian hubert hammer jackson was at the Hallendale historian uh recently reuben stacy's niece she passed away at ninety six recently in September. She was the last living person who remembers Ruben Stacy because right. all we see is, is the image of him being lynched. But right. she humanized him in this documentary. Um, but what she before she passed? She was someone I was building rapport with. So I'm learning this information from from you know the the elders who came before and with the technology that we have, just being able to utilize it and making it more accessible for the next generation.
0: What What does it mean to you personally? What has it done for you to be able to dig into this history personally? Like, what has it meant to you to, to be able to to play a role in preserving that?
1: Uh, it, it gives me a sense of purpose hmm. because before I was doing this work, I was my first major was in radio and television broadcasting. Oh, welcome so back, man! I was home, like, then. you know, I was trying to be like you. You know, I just wanted to. <laughs> You know, just have a station or, you know, just be behind the scenes on a a news station and just, you know, with a camera or doing something and just being out the way. You know, you might hear my voice or something, but that was really it. But, um, you know, history, just it it called me Hmm. and it it just gives me a sense of purpose. And it, it just makes I feel as if it makes a lot of things easier for me in life. Because I'm really aware of who I am, I'm aware of who I need to be around, I'm aware of what I have to do. Mm-hmm. So it just kinda of makes my direction in life a lot easier because I've I've found myself through this work. I'm I'm curious about that
0: because it's so varied. Like you've mm-hmm. done documentary work, you you do archival work daily. Mm-hmm. What are the things like what keeps you on mission? Like what is the thing that still drives you and and moves you forward, you know?
1: It's the fact that there's still so much more for me to learn. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, uh, I found and uncovered so much history, but the more I've uncovered is the more I realize I don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Black black history is so vast and so deep. The same way we look at politics and how we talk about politics, uh, the importance of politics being local, Mm -hmm. how we hear people talk about, well, you need to know your mayors, your vice mayors, your CRA, your city manager, different things like that. It's very akin to history. Yes, we, we know black history is stuff that has kept hidden and we hear about the, the Dr. Kings, the Malcolm X, the Rosa Parks, the, you know, the, 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 the greats who came before us. But there is Dr. Kings in your own community. Uh, so the same way we look at local politics, we got to look at our local black history as well and know who these empty fields are. What, these, what, what was in these empty fields in our community before? There used to be buildings. There used to be businesses. We need to know who these streets are named after in our communities, who are um, our school buildings, different things like that. It, it, it really opens us up more to things that's accessible to us.
0: You have gotten so deep into history and this love of history. I'm curious about the guy who inspired it, your dad, who was yeah. so uh, entrenched in it. What is what have those conversations been like to see, you know, yeah. uh, whether he's able to appreciate the kind of work that you're doing uh, yeah. uh, regarding history?
1: Well, my dad is um in Central Florida right now. He stays in Kissimmee. Um and we still have a very strong relationship. I still go to Kissimmee a lot of times because his home is very therapeutic. You know, he has no a way. nice beautiful garden in the backyard. Mm-hmm. He has different um bananas, mangoes, avocados, cherries, um um fruits and veggies from um the Philippines cuz his uh his um his wife in law is from the Philippines and his brother lives there so in in the Philippines mm-hmm. and where he retired so they would bring different seeds and plants for him to 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 grow that's what my my dad is also big in agriculture so um you know mm-hmm. those conversations are we have now is very appreciative and it's cool to like really just like Come back full circle, you know, from me being a child to now me educating him on certain certain things.
0: Oh, what's that like? Like when you do you do you look forward to that when you find a piece of of history that do you call him up? And you're like, you'll never guess what I found out. Kind of. Yeah.
1: So we we would have those kind of conversations on the phone. But then also in person, we would have these, you know, when when I would go see him, we would really just, you know, we'd be in the garden in the back and just Mm -hmm. having, you know, these and these really cool conversations about history and certain things that i'm sharing with him um about down here some i would show him my films before they would come out mm. and just get his perspective on it and then we would also just talk about other aspects of of music um which we both have a, a real deep appreciation for music and art and culture as well that we would discuss too
0: emmanuel in just in the last few seconds that we have mm-hmm. what, what do you have going on next where, where can folks uh what can folks pay attention to you and where to find you
1: Okay, so yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Black Broward. Uh, I'm not really on social media like that. Um, I'm not really a fan of social media, to be honest, but I use my social media to educate. I'm like, if I'm going to have it, I'm just going to use it to educate people. And that way I could just be about uh, my way. But what's next for me is this intergenerational oral history workshop. Um, And the focus is on the HBHS, the Historical Black High Schools of Broward County. Right now, Blanche Ely High School, their journalism club, will be working with the Rock Road uh, Group, which is a preservation group in Pompano. There's also in Dillard High School, their journalism club, and they're reworking with the trailblazers of Cistruck, now the trailblazers of Broward County. Well, I
0: want to, I want to direct folks to your Instagram page, yeah. Black Broward, so they can find out more info. Emmanuel, thank yeah. you so much for spending the time with us. Oh, anytime. Much love. Our guest today is was Emmanuel George. He's an archivist and community historian who created the Black Broward Instagram page. And that's Sundial for Wednesday, November 8th. Leslie Obaye Atkinson is our lead producer. Our producer is Elisa Baena. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News. And Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Meritz is WLRN's VP of Radio. And our engineer is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Or come meet us live. Uh, sundown will be hosting uh carl hyacinth the great carl hyacinth on saturday november 18th at 1 p.m we'll talk about his latest book wrecker and his legendary career as a florida journalist and author coming up tomorrow on the program we speak with a scholar of afrofuturism he tells us about a local exhibit he co-curated that showcases these stories i'm carlos Frias. good vibes only WLRN Public Media.